I'm here at the ancient sacred site at the border mounds in uh, in uh, uh, Norway, just a bit south of Oslo. Um, and uh, this is August 2022, and uh, the Midgard Splot has just been finished in here. An absolutely incredible experience of connecting with. Uh, um, with people uh, across the whole Norse verse. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, repeat here uh, the speech that I had yesterday in the Midgard Center here about uh, the relevance of the the Viking past. I'm a historian of religion, and uh, I'll be talking about this absolutely weird idea that Vikings, Iron Age coast pirates that existed in a rather short historical window very, very long ago can have any relevance whatsoever for us contemporary people today. And I'll just deepen this question referencing something that Vicky Mikkelsen here from the Midgasblod Management said last year at the Mythology Conference in Iceland. She mentioned that participants, participants here in this festival experienced, it, experienced coming here as a coming home. A coming home. Why the flip is it that the combination of rock music and Iron Age pirates that existed a very long time ago make people feel at home? And uh, yeah, I know I'm, I'm making it sound weird. I myself, I probably should be made, shouldn't be made into a huge standard of normality in this respect. I personally feel at home when I'm around samba and voodoo priests. Yeah. Um, but I think that in general, I think this search or longing for a homecoming has to do with connectedness. And I'll just tell you a little story about what, what I mean by connectedness. Now, my wife is born into the Maya tribe in Central Africa. And I once uh, walked into the jungle down there together with an uncle of ours. And uh, when we heard a specific bird calling, he then whistled back to this bird. He and the bird then started communicating in bird whistling language. The bird led him to a beehive and he then paid the bird for its help and, and gave it some of this dark, rich honey that you find in a tropical African forest. If you haven't tried it, you don't know it. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple of days later, he said, tonight there'll be termites. And sure enough, that same night, one of those 16 species of edible termites known to the buyer erupts out of the earth in biblical quantities. And people were ready with buckets and balls. They filled them up with termites. They knew that the termites were swarming because of something about the onset of the rainy season and the weather and something about a moon phase or something like that. That is connectedness. In this case, being connected to nature. And the connectedness of the Baia people uh, is to a large extent rooted in the fact that they are animists. Uh, because animism basically means ways of building and upholding connectedness. Ancestors are particularly important in Maya animism. The realm of the ancestors uh, is the forest, that which is just outside the village. The water they drink flow out of a cave that's sacred to ancestors. When they kill a buffalo, the, the, the game animal is given by ancestors. They will shout the name of an ancestor when they hit it with the first spear. Yeah, I have in-laws that kill buffaloes with spears. No shit. <laughs> uh, my wife not though, she says, grew up in Paris, so she's a super bohemian urbanite like me, by the way. If somebody trusted me with a spear, I'd probably hurt myself. 
But yeah, the, the Gbaya, they're also connected to each other. You spend your life within hearing distance of your entire extended family. You know if your uncle and auntie fights because it's 10 meters away in another little clay hut. And outside the village, ancestors reside. So you are basically in deep kinship with people around you all the time. Uh, this kind of animist connectedness that the Baia have is one that is to a large extent lost to most of us contemporary Westerners, right? We lack connection to our past. We lack connection to the landscapes that we inhabit, to the other beings in those landscapes, particularly to those beings that we eat, the beings that give us life. Uh, our connectedness to other parts of the world is abusive and generally fucked. Our connection to nature, I think the term fucked is in fact a massive understatement in the context where we have created the biggest collapse in life on Earth for 66 million years, right? Just so we're on the level, what we mean when we use the term fucked. It's not like, fuck, my smartphone ran out of battery. <clears throat> it's more like giant meteor rammed into Earth and created a nuclear winter that eradicated the dinosaurs. It's, like, it's literally that scale of fucked that applies to our connectedness to nature. Our connectedness between each other is also not doing too well. Our connection to political opponents degenerate into polarization through these online mirror cabinets that are designed with neuro-algorithmic precision to catch and monetize our attention by hacking our instincts, our instincts of social bonding, also animosity, our desires and fears. These mirror cabinets, they hold our attention by constantly affirming our stupidest and meanest idiosyncrasies. And this attention extraction, capitalism, is why this shit is addictive, you know? Is why it creates polarization on a global scale. I've had to do an addiction style, conscious, tapering off, like consciously outfacing this shit. I have a little alarm that goes on and tells me when I'm allowed to go on Facebook. And then it goes on 10 minutes later to tell me, get out, you know? Isn't that just pathetic? So the very tools of connectedness are turning against us. Screen time is rupturing our relation to the people closest to us. Our children are getting socialized by PlayStation, so they become socially decrepit and end up in the bloody incel movement. Our interaction, like physical interaction with people, is uh, basically decreasing. Uh, there's an inverse correlation between the number of time people have sex and uh, how much they use social media. Basically, the most basic physical connection is, uh, is being destroyed by social media. This, uh, this attention extraction capitalism is also destroying attention spans. Unsurprisingly, people, don't, people pretty much don't read books anymore. Our political debate culture degenerates because you know, populations that are living in a Twitter mind seem to have lost the capacity to notice that some buffoon is contradicting himself from sentence to sentence, as long as he is attention-grabbing through infantile conflictual shouting, right? There is also collapse in, in connectedness in the stories that we tell. You know? Myths are tools of connectedness, but contemporary myths, such as conspiracy theories, they seem to be undermining people's connection to reality itself. Also, academic scholarly knowledge has hopelessly lost connection to social worlds. 
scholars produce endless amounts of incomprehensible language, language that nobody reads. And thank the gods for that, because at the end of the day, the majority of it doesn't say much about anything with a shred of relevance to anybody. And you can take that from one of the culprits of that business. I earned my doctorate doing Afro-Basilian individuation technologies, upholding counter-modern spaces of imminentist relational ontology. <laughs> I'm not even making that up, you know. This whole clusterfuck of collapsing connectedness, that is the global crisis of connectedness. Some call this the, a relational crisis, and this underlies our longings and desires. And it's why we're seeing people all over the planet turning towards animisms, those connective systems, you know, that are there in our cultural heritage. The relational crisis is why we crave connectedness to nature. We want to walk in nature, imagine that we live in it, lived in it, Instagram ourselves in it. We yearn for connection to those beings that we eat. We want to move into little homestead places, grow our own food. We dream about doing it. I certainly do that. I'm a total urban hipster, you know? We crave connectedness to culture, connectedness to each other. Imagine having a tribe. Connectedness to ancestors, to the past. We want to imagine that we were Vikings, play at actually doing connective rituals and all that stuff. My point here is that the relational crisis is the root reason that people are fascinated by Vikings. It's why people feel a coming home here at the Mythos Blot. Vikings have come to represent some of this lost connectedness. They represent ancestors. They represent some of that indigeneity that the buyer have. <clears throat> they represent the animism, those belief systems that connected people to the land. And there's a funny twist to that, and that is that those historical people that we sometimes label, perhaps mislabel, Vikings, they were actually animists. Now, of course, they weren't eco-hippies, but as animists, they were, in fact, acutely aware of, one, the cosmic importance of connectedness, and two, that this connectedness cannot be taken for granted. Their myths image the interconnectedness of the cosmos as a tree, the Ash Yggdrasil, you know, but the Vikings also teach us that this interconnectedness of cosmos is under threat. There are worms gnawing at eating at the roots of the tree. And in the Ragnarok, the tree burns. Right? The Viking apocalypse, the Ragnarok, is a myth that talks about relational crisis and its ecological and social consequences. And in that respect, it's, I think, the most urgent myth of our day. No other myth that I'm aware of speaks with such directness into our world. In a sense, the Ragnarok, you know, this Viking eco-apocalypse is the prophecy of our time. And that's some scary shit, by the way. And it's the reason why the Viking past is incredibly relevant today. Because though, again, you know, Vikings were not eco-hippies, of course not, but they did have connective knowledge. And in our connective collapse, that kind of knowledge is more urgently relevant than any kind of knowledge I can basically think of. Mythic language, like the Ragnarok, brings knowledge of relation into relation with people. And knowledge doesn't always do that. An example of the opposite could be one of those UN climate reports that amps up the apocalypse yet another notch, you know. Uh, that kind of knowledge describes something with a high level of precision. Uh, but it's not connective knowledge. People just don't get it, which is why nobody relates to it. 
And that is the reason that the entire world community is still scrambling to accelerate us into the total apocalypse. In fact, this knowledge is so unconnected that there likely is very, very few people watching this speech. Who has ever read a UN climate report? I sure as shit haven't. And I hold a PhD from a venerable university and I'm talking a lot about climate change in public. Right? But the Ragnarok is a story that makes our apocalyptic dystopian reality existentially real for us. Also, by the way, the horror of how monumentally fucked we are. Right? In the Ragnarok myth, a god killing his brother is that cosmic break of kin on kinship and thereby connectedness, which makes this interconnected cosmos unravel. Gods and giants stop making babies and exchanging through little games and social contracts, and instead they start fighting like Christian angels and demons. The fire giant scorches the earth with his flaming sword. The Yggdrasil trembles, the ashes swallowed by Surt's kin. Brother will fight brother and be his slayer. Social collapse, axe age, wolf age, shields are cleft asunder, flames scorches the sky, Jormungandr the great serpent steers in the deep and rises to devour the lands. This is an existentially real, understandable description of our relational crisis. Now my work as a scholar and as some sort of cultural activist, is about creating cultural and scholarly dialogue with the past uh, for the purpose of recovering connectedness. Right? What I'm trying to do is, in all complete, total lack of humility, to fight the fucking Ragnarok, you know, to stem against the relational crisis with the knowledge of our cultural history. And this is the foundation of Nordic animism. Nordic animism is the, the coinage that I made in order to put a spot on those parts of our cultural heritage that hold the keys to connectedness. Because animism is ways of producing and upholding connectedness. And we used to have that, same as the buyer. Some animism might be Viking, some of it not. That's really not the important thing. The important thing is to engage parts of our history that hold keys for how to recover connectedness, knowledge of connectedness, practice of connectedness. And it's there. It's just under the surface when we look at our normal majority culture, right? And, and a lot of the really good stuff in Northern Europe, you know, is actually Viking. Probably because Viking Age people had this imminent cultural memory of what archaeologists call the Fimbul Winter, this climactic cooling that happened in the Iron Age with catastrophic social consequences. And while having this memory, their traditional knowledge system was threatened by the Christianization. And they seem to have reflected a lot on that uh, whole situation there. But then the question becomes, what to do about that? How, how do we operationalize into our time the fact that our ancestors may have had knowledge of how to keep the world interconnected, we've lost that knowledge and now the world is falling apart in relational collapse. And with Nordic animism, I've been trying, working on this in a number of ways, often playful ways, and you can check all that stuff out on my YouTube channel here, um, where I'm trying to communicate about these different initiatives. Um, uh, but, but what I'm trying to do is also to try to reach into culture in different ways. Um, I'm trying to reopen this dialogue with animist parts of our past, also in, in, in cultural spaces, right? And I want to mention one specific example of this work, which is a prof, uh, project that I started in collaboration with Matthias Norvig, Joshua Root, and a lot of other uh, people. 
And uh, that is a Viking Age tradition of calling on healing the co collapsing connectedness. Now, the point is that this particular initiative takes a somewhat optimistic or proactive approach. If we just read the Ragnarok myth, then perhaps the natural reaction is to just go ah and then lie down and die because the Ragnarok is here. The suit red rooster has crowed. You know that about half the world's vertebrate species have gone extinct in your lifetime and this summer here temperatures in London reached 40 degrees. You know? But Vikings, they actually tried to work against, to try to resist relational collapse. And perhaps we can learn from that. You know? They had these great gatherings that returned with eight years in between, what the medieval uh, texts call in the ninth year. And here Viking Age Scandinavians gathered in their regional sacred sites. If you look at the season one of the Vikings, you will see them traveling to Uppsala for this, this Viking festival. And this eight year cycle is likely based on a specific alignment of the winter solstice with the new moon. And this happens the next time in 2023, next year. And you can check that, um, you can check out that on, on a playlist here on my channel. Now today we're calling this the Aun year here in 2023 and this is an attempt at recreating the timing and possibly the animist objective, not the specific rituals, but the animist objective of those great Viking gatherings. These festivals seem to have mirrored the myth of King Aun the Old of Sweden who sacrificed his own sons in order to live forever. Like brothers killing each other in the Ragnarok, uh, Aun attacked his own family. He periodically killed his own sons in order to go on living, living until he was so old that he couldn't move and basically had to be fed with a baby bottle. And he just stayed in this disconnected zone of unending comfort predicated on this violence on his kin, violating connectivity. This is a powerful image of our disconnectedness today. Our consumer comfort is predicated on all, all kinds of invisible violence, violence towards nature, but also on, on other people and other parts of the world, on animals and uh, all organisms. It is humanity tapped into the matrix, paralyzed in comfort, predicated on invisible uh, violence. And for a number of reasons that I uh, talk about in other videos on, the, on this channel here, um, it, it makes sense to read these festivals as some sort of reconnecting, an attempt at healing, at purifying society of Aun's disconnect, to reconnect society. So the Aun myth uh, seems to formulate this Ragnarok disconnect as something that happens a little bit all the time, as if the world is falling apart a little bit all the time. You know, the violating connectivity is something that's constant and humans then cyclically need to ceremonially call back that connectedness, right? And I think we can understand this calling for connectedness uh, with the thinking of the Native American eco-activist and scholar Winona LaDuke. She calls for humanity to be the ancestor that your descendants would be proud of. And I think this is what the Aun celebration is basically about. It is about calling for us to become good ancestors because we're not. You know, we are like Aun. We are the worst imaginable ancestor. As we are inscribed in the consumer system, we are consuming the planet away from under the feet of our children. We are what Winona Leduc calls Windigo in the Ojibwe language. 
cannibal spirits. We are cannibal ancestors eating our own children, but we can stop. We just have to wake the fuck up. And the first step in finding the human integrity uh, and dignity in our relating is having this realization that we are our cannibal ancestors. Realizing that and then starting to call for that connectedness. And that is the Viking way, the real Viking way. So the practice of that knowledge of connectedness, the responsibility of the human connection, uh, condition as stemming against the Ragnarok, fighting the relational collapse. This is what some indigenous peoples today call custodianship. Animism as that deep knowledge and practice of humanity as deeply dependent on and engaged in the uh, harmonious running and, and uh, management of the world. The world is falling apart if humans don't sing it, call it, seduce it back into connectedness. We tend to think of animists as children that are innocently living on the conditions of some serene nature somewhere, but that's totally wrong. Animists are deeply engaged in maintaining the functioning and the biological richness of the land. Wherever European colonizers went, you know, to other continents, they just saw nature. But today we know that what they were really looking at were, was uh, landscapes thoroughly cultivated with millennia of animist eco uh, ecological knowledge. And it's no wonder that we are in relational collapse because we've stopped developing our animist tradition of maintaining the world connected. We developed other stuff. We developed amazing technology and all that stuff, you know. But but animism is a tradition that has very much fallen out of, uh, of, of use. For instance, we haven't performed this vital own ceremony for about a millennia. And maybe that's why the world is falling apart. We stopped calling on the connectedness, singing connectedness back into the world. Right? So what we've been trying to do here um, is to get people on board with this. All the Viking nerds and the reenactors and the eco-activists -act and the musicians and the festivals and the heathens and the hippies and the animists and so on. We want all you people who have this fascination with Vikings and the Norse past to make it real, to realize it, to realize the root of this impulse and that is connectedness. We want you to come home, you know, for real. <laughs> because the animist knowledge of building that home, that is there in our heritage. So get on the bandwagon, all of you who thinks that the Vikings are cool, and you know, let's celebrate the own year of 2023, all you hippies and Vikings and musicians and so on. And is the Viking past relevant today? Well, in themselves, I don't know if Vikings are particularly relevant, you know, but connectivity, is that relevant today? Well, if you ever loved anything in the world, then yeah, it is. And you should join in here and we'll fight the Ragnarok together. Thanks a lot and see you at Nykosblod next year. It is a badass event that is uncompromisingly dedicated to, uh, to relieve the uh, Norse past or the relating with the Norse pasts of, its, uh, uh, of it being mined by uh, right extremists and, and all that stuff. It's, it's been an absolutely mind-blowing experience to hang out with so many wonderful people in this deeply sacred site. So fight the Ragnarok, celebrate the Aon year and see you in 2003 on the Milkosblod Festival. Bell.